Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 343 Podcast. My name is John Pronich, and I am your host. On today's episode, we have Pete Stewart. I was going to say Coach Pete Stewart because that is his Twitter name, so at Coach Pete Stewart if you want to go find him. But uh, we have Pete Stewart, and Pete is a 343 member. He is a youth soccer coach in the Denver, Colorado area, and... I've had the pleasure of meeting Pete. We shared some uh, we shared some beers, him, Gary, and I. Um, we shared some beers when Gary and I were in Denver for an event. Uh, man, almost a year ago now. And uh, Pete updated a little bit or updated us a little bit on his situation that he is in out in Colorado, and he gave us an update on how he is doing with all of the three four three coaching material and and a bunch of other stuff. And and we had known about Pete prior to uh, to our trip out there, and it was great to sit down and actually meet him. Um, but Gary and I both agreed that Pete's story was pretty cool, and we wanted to be able to share that with you. So uh, it took us a while to actually to actually uh, link up and, and do this podcast. I don't know if I if, if I had asked Pete multiple times, or, or maybe I surprised him one day and, and, and just asked him to record. Um, but I've had this in the queue for a few months, and I'm super excited to share it with everybody. Uh, Pete has, like I said, a very interesting story, uh, not just because he's a 343 coach, but because he's gone through uh, a bunch of the same problems and same um, learning and all kinds of just just the stuff that you go through as a youth coach yourself. Uh, and so if you're looking for us to kind of get back to our roots in this podcast, this episode is for you. Um, we talk a lot about youth soccer. We talk about some of the problems in youth soccer. We talk about some of the um, problems in uh, coaching education. We talk about some of the successes in coaching education as well. Um, and it's just a very wide-ranging conversation. And like I said, I'm super excited to share it with you. Um, if you want to know more about the program that Pete's a part of, uh, the 343 Coaching Membership, you can find out more on 343coaching.com. That's the number 34 and three, uh, coaching all spelled out dot com, and you can find our uh, premium membership, which is uh, the program that Pete is part of, or you can sign up for our free program. Like I said, those programs are both available on three four three coaching dot com. That's the numbers three four and three coaching dot com. And if you want, while you're there, you can find more episodes of this podcast. You can find our articles. You can find information about some of our other events and, and our players club and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, so be sure to check that out. And all right, we'll get into today's episode. I hope that you enjoy this uh, wide ranging conversation with Pete Stort. My, my, my thing is, is who, who cares where they coached or where they're from, whatever. It's like, it's not like the guys in Colorado or Nevada or Iowa or anything like they were rec coaches. So if they want to compare them to Escola coaches, like they were rec coaches too. Sure. Who cares? Yeah. 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 That shouldn't matter. (laughs) No. Well, it's, it shouldn't matter. I mean, and, and that's a thing. It's a great, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like, um, I feel like I'm reverting back to having to drop names and prove it, mm-hmm. right? Like with by by dropping names and saying where all these guys are from. Like it shouldn't matter. Yeah, we went from we went from twelve players to 
uh, 30 players to 150 players to 300 players in a year, a year and a half, basically. So whatever we're doing is attracting these players and, and, um, and the parents and the players want what we are providing. The, the product that we're delivering is in high demand. It, and so what does it matter who is the director of coaching? What does it matter? What we're the training we're providing and the, what we're, what the way that we're developing our kids is working. You know, we had five kids go to national ID camp from our club, not DA, nothing. The only reason they got recognized is through ODP. So what we're doing works. So who cares? And I feel like I said, I feel like I'm reverting back. It's not my game to like, be like, oh, I'm this guy and I won this award and I did this and this and this. No, no, no. Look, here's a video of my team. Watch. Watch how they play. Come come and watch my game. Come and watch my training sessions and look at what I do. I didn't play anywhere. I'm nobody. I'm I'm a soccer dad, Mm -hmm. man. But what I can do, I will show you what I can do. I don't have to. You know what, Pete? That's that's where I kind of get. I go back to like we need to, as as youth soccer coaches, need to stop treating this as just youth soccer and and start looking at other industries and what those people are doing. Because yeah, if you want to develop an app, you can't just talk about your app. No, you, you, like it, 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 you have to you have to prove that you can make an app, and then people have to go and use it and buy it. And you know, there's bugs and stuff, and you have to be able to fix them. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with you with youth soccer. You can't just say that you're a youth soccer coach. You, no. have to, you have to prove that you're a youth soccer coach and, and you should be using tools like YouTube and, and videos and, 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 and to some extent, you know, talking about achievements and stuff is, is good. Um, yeah. but, but being able to show, to show videos and, 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 and have that evidence, it, it works wonders. And, and that's kind of without, without a YouTube video that had over, a million views now. I don't. I don't think Brian's at LA Galaxy. No chance. No. No. That, that, you're absolutely right. And you know what's funny is, I was thinking about. I was like, how did I? I can't remember how I heard about three four three and how I got it. And I was thinking, yeah, you know, um, it was in my e course that that the 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 instructor showed that video, mm-hmm. and I was like, holy, good yeah. God, right? And so then I just found them on YouTube and started following on Twitter. And in fact, that's that's why I have the Coach Pete Stewart Twitter account was so that I could follow Brian, uh, so I follow Gary on Twitter because I have a Pete Stewart, I have a my developer Twitter account or whatever. But I was like, no, I got to do a coaching one so I can like just do Twitter coaches. Yeah. And um, anyway, but it was that video. So you're right. I mean, we do to some extent have to have to shout from the mountaintops because <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, you know, then you're just you're not helping. You're not helping who no. who could help, right? I mean, where would I be with without that video being shown to me? I might, I you know, I might might be uh, a, a decent coach. I certainly wouldn't have the the knowledge that I have from or have been in so early with the knowledge that I have from uh, three, four, three. So I, yeah, you're right. I mean, we, we, maybe we do owe it to our, to our, uh, uh, the, our peers 
to, to share our knowledge. And, and, you know, I suppose we do to some extent. I don't know. You know, I, I, we did this, um, we, we did these, uh, coaching clinics with these dudes from Spain. And on, on, uh, Sunday we had this guy named, um, Fran Costa and he is, uh, from Spain. Who cares? He had a, he, he basically did a, a presentation. He had a, a PowerPoint that he translated from Spanish to, to English. He doesn't speak much English. And it was on game, game management, building your team, um, and building like your, your methodology for how you want to train. Deep, rich, full presentation with videos, with animated uh, um, uh, uh, training sessions, you know, movements that he wanted to produce. With breakdowns of like how to instruct each player in each position, what their main responsibilities were, what are their technical, what are their tactical uh, details in each phase of the game, what are their responsibilities in each place on the field, what are their responsibilities when the ball is in each place on the field, what are their responsibilities? Okay, so the idea that doesn't matter what it is, the idea is the depth of thought in this. He had hundreds of slides. And video after video after video um, analyzed the Rapids video that he that we all went to for Fourth of July, uh, the the last two goals and what were the problems, and then we all kind of contributed to figuring it out. Um, he'll be he'll be the U nineteen coach for uh, Manresa in Barcelona. I think it's Segunda A team, like really good team. He'll be the youngest coach ever to coach that team. This guy is twenty two years old. And this guy works, and he conducts himself far at a far higher level than most 45-year-olds, right? Like way more professional, way more. And when he's on the soccer field, he is spectacular. And because he's so prepared, he knows everything cold. He has, he has worked so hard to be uh, the coach that he is. And for sure he'll go far. We will see him. Uh, in the future. Uh, but you're right that we, and I, I look at that presentation. I think, man, I have to do better. I have to do way better, way better. I'm not doing anywhere near enough, you know? And that's why I'm like sitting in on Kieran Smith's, um, uh, webinars and I'm reading, you know, the books that I find and I'm watching the stuff on three, four, three without Kieran Smith's webinars, Kieran Smith is nothing. And I, and, and I, I mean that in a good way because Kieran found a way to kind of hack the system and he put himself out there in a yeah. different way than all other coaches from his country yeah. were doing it. And without doing what he did with his presentations and PowerPoints and get going on podcasts and whatnot, he would just be another guy with an accent in, in, right. in, right. uh, in Europe. Yeah. But now yeah. he's the the one I can't remember where he's from. That's why I'm hesitant to say it. Is he from Ireland? Scotland? No, he's from he's from UK. UK, okay. So well, that's, I mean, that's from, why I was hesitant, hesitant he's, to say he's country. English. He's English. Yeah. Um but yeah, he, he would just be another guy coaching in the UK, like you know, like hundreds of thousands well, of coached, other people. He coached in Spain. And and but because he put himself out there. That's right. So that's right. I, I have I have massive respect for Kieran and I I love what he does. Uh, him and I have exchanged a lot of messages and, and he's given me kind of uh, 
insider view to some of his presentations and, and stuff that he's been working on. And, and I couldn't be more thankful to kind of just have that experience with him. But he, he is a great example of somebody who just went out there and fucking made his own path. Yeah. And, yeah. and another, another guy that has a similar story, not in coaching, um, would be the guy that wrote the, the book about, um, Barcelona, like like Pep's revolution of soccer. I think. Oh Graham, yeah, yeah. Graham Marty Pernau. Oh, Graham Hunter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Graham Hunter. So uh, you know, another guy from the UK that went and immersed himself in Spanish culture, and he became like the authority on reporting about Barcelona. And yeah. he's not. He's not even Spanish. Right. And, and but right. that's because he put himself out there to to yeah. do that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that an, another just I'm, I'm beating a dead horse at this point, but another good example of. Uh, if anybody's looking for a good example would be Gary Vaynerchuk. And he, lately he's, he's been talking a lot about how whatever you do, if you're in selling diapers or if you're in soccer coaching or if you're in tech or whatever, whatever you are, first, you're a media company. First, you need to yeah. put yourself out there on Instagram or on YouTube or whatever, and you need to get your product out to people. Yep. Whether it's on the field, so you're showing videos of yourself or whatever, but first you're a media company and, and that's kind of actually, we've kind of adopted that at, at, at three, four, three, two. It's like, so we have a podcast sure. and videos and things like that. Yeah. And then secondary, we also coach soccer. So, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that to a very large extent. And I, and I, I hear what you're saying about you have to, if you want to be successful, you have to be thinking in a way that's, um, that's, uh, uh not the norm. Yeah. Not the norm. And, and, and that's, what you're doing is public. Everything that you're doing is public and people are watching. And then you need to find a way to make it more public and more public and more public if you can. Um, but I'm, however, I'm also a big fan because uh, media consumers are very savvy now. And you can't just put a bunch of flashy photos and, and trophies up on a website and think that that's gonna and drop all your certificates and awards and think that that's gonna be enough to 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 do it. They're savvy. You have to provide something valuable to the consumer, right? Three four three is a great marketing company because the stuff that Gary put out there on his blog in the beginning was not marketing. It was valuable content that pushed his company and his agenda forward. The coaching stuff that he put together was brilliant marketing because it was valuable content that he put out there for people and then let it spread. The podcast is brilliant marketing, not be because of the content that you provide for the people that want it. You're giving the savvy consumer something that they want, and it's very public. Perfect. Perfect. But, but, but you can't just be a media company. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to have something that you're providing, and I'm, I'm a strong believer – Partly because I've followed 343 and what you've done, because you guys are a great example of this, that you provide a valuable service, you provide valuable content in a way that can be shared, expanded, talked about. Um, but the key is the valuable content. So for myself, I feel like it's, I feel like um, for me, where I'm at in my stage right now, is I'm soaking up as much as I can get. Mm -hmm. I'm I, like you said. I'm I've, I've had a lot of um, 
coaching, whatever, uh, coaching education action lately. And I have. And that's why I'm tweeting about it because I don't – on Twitter very much. I'm really busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when I have some stuff to talk about, I want to be on Twitter and talk about it. But my education doesn't stop. I'm a web developer. I'm a, I'm a, a software engineer. And I work with early-stage startups, so I never stop learning about technology. And I've applied that to my learning in soccer. I never stop learning about soccer. So even though I'm talking a lot about it now, it doesn't mean I ever stopped in between now and before, right? Anyway, um, my stage right now is I'm absorbing as much as I can. I feel like until you – the more knowledge you gain – somebody said this on Twitter just recently, I think. It was one of my – no, it was one of my friends on Instagram. doesn't matter. Um, it's not my quote, but the quote, the quotation is that the, the more you knowledge you gain, the more right you have to an opinion. Mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, and so right now I feel like I'm in a knowledge gathering, knowledge gaining phase and I'm coming to it late. I'm, you know, 44 years old. Um, I've, I've been a coach for nine, 10 years and I feel like I'm only beginning to understand and start to learn. Um, and I'm also a strong believer that if I go and I do my work and, and I provide value, valuable content to my consumers who right now are children and their parents and my technical director and the people that I meet in Barcelona and the people that I meet when I go to other tournaments and the people that I meet when I go to, to coaching clinics and, and um, licenses, um, if I, if, if I do my good work and I spread the knowledge that I know and I interact with people, then what needs to happen will happen, especially right now. It's funny that you mentioned that like along this, like your, your journey, like you're, you're beginning to, or you're continuing to, you know, throw out little tweets and, and like have those conversations publicly. And those are, mm-hmm. do, those are documented now. And what's going to be interesting to see, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be following your, your journey for many years to come, but when you reach that point of where you, you feel like, okay, now I can, you know, educate somebody on, on something. Right. And you're going to have all this evidence to kind of go back on and be like, all right, well, here's where I was like four years ago or 10 yeah. years ago or whatever. So that's, that's always kind of cool. And, yeah. and I, I, I think in another Vaynerchuk reference, I, I just, digested a bunch of his stuff on a, on a road trip. Uh, I recently did to San Diego, but he, he was giving advice to some kid that was like 22 or 23 and, you know, wanted to move to New York city, I think. And he had like all these aspirations and, and Vaynerchuk basically told him, okay, move to New York city, find a mentor, eat shit for seven years, document your journey or something like that. And then once you feel like you're ready to go at 30, 31, 35, 40, whatever, then you have all that yep. stuff in your arsenal. Yeah. So, yeah, totally. And, and that's kind of in a way, I, I don't, I don't know for sure. I've never talked to Gary about this or Brian, but in a way that might've been with what they were doing, you know, bringing a camera out to Brian's sessions when the kids were eight and nine years old. I mean, that mm-hmm. stuff didn't get released until they were 12, 13, 14. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I feel like I'm in a stage right now where, and this, you know, you said eat shit for seven years or whatever. I kind of feel like that's sort of where I am. Like these guys came to town, right? The the Spanish guys. And I said, okay. And I was at the time I was 
working with Tolia at SIQ, we had a whole bunch of interest in what we were doing. I was writing curriculum for him. I was coaching their, their stuff, right? And and we were really getting some momentum and stuff. And then these guys came into town, and I sort of had a decision to make. I, I, had, to, I had to decide, hey, do I want to do I want to be a teacher and a leader right now, or do I want to be a student? Because there was no way I was going to join up with these guys and be a leader. Because they, they told me basically, they're like, what you're doing is very nice. It's very good. It's, it's some of the best that we've seen. They say it so respectfully, too. It's so awesome. And, yeah, <laughs> and they do. Been there before. Yeah, but I, I think maybe it would be better if, if we did this instead, you know? And, uh, and I decided, no, you know what? I'm going to eat shit for a while. And, and I'm, you know what? I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to come to this with humility and with gratitude. That's what I'm coming into this organization with. And I am going to learn as much as I can. When I go out, I've been for two weeks, I've been assisting these uh, Spanish coaches in their sessions. And I am a, an assistant coach. I, I run to pick up the cones. I run to get the balls in order. I run to make sure that the pennies are right. I, I, I look at the, I look at the uh, training session. I make sure that I have the right bibs laid out for the exercises that, so that the coach can focus on what he's doing. I am not an assistant coach. <laughs> I, I have the attitude and ability of a head coach, and I and I am not obviously always super humble. Um, but I'm coming to this with humility and gratitude, so that I can learn and figure out how to do this thing. I think it's really important um, that we understand when is the right time to be an alpha and when is the right time to be humble and grateful for what you have and what you're being given the opportunity to, um, to learn from. So for me, that, that the coaching education and what I'm learning now and how I'm going about it, those are the, those are the really key, key issues for me right now. And I'm trying very hard to main, maintain that even when I go to the C license even when I go and learn from U.S. soccer, there's 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 a ton of things that those that you, that you can learn in those courses. Yeah, that, for and sure. That's, and, and I think that's where there's a little bit of a and maybe like a misconception, or maybe people don't understand my stance or or things on that. Like I genuinely think I can learn from the C course. I don't agree with U.S. soccer system of how they run coaching education, but I but I think that that. Licenses are valuable to a certain extent. I sure. believe that that progressing um, with like that roadmap of D, C, B, A, Pro, whatever. I think that's valuable. Um, mm-hmm. And and there's definitely. I'm trying to. I'm trying to say the right thing right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just. Yeah, I, I, I guess I, I don't know the right right thing to say. Um, it's just it's just difficult to support that that system for me. Mm-hmm. I, I I see a ton of value in it though, and um, I, I I wish that I could play a bigger part in that. I wish I, I wish that would play a bigger part in my in my coaching education because um, I, I I've I have very little former formal education when it comes to soccer. And I mm-hmm. think it's in large part due to, to how the system has been set up and it's been kind of keeping me at bay. So it's, it's not easy to, um, 
you know, the, I, 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 what I'd like to see U.S. Soccer's coaching education system do is I want them to figure, like, quit changing it all the time. Yep. And, like, just figure it out, right? Like, I, yeah, I'm doing the C course right now, right? And I went and looked for that U.S. That US soccer coaching curriculum that I read, like, the tab Ramo, uh, Ramos wrote a long time ago. Yeah. And I had a copy of it, but I couldn't find it right away. So I just went on U.S. Soccer's website and was looking for it. It's not there. Go it's on. gone. Um, well, because it's a complete so, overhaal of uh, what they're doing now is a complete overhaul of that. So so and then I said, okay, well, what's – they must have something that replaced it. What? Where? Nope. I go in my co- coaching course and I look for like the material. Like where's the textbook? I would read the whole textbook before the course and then I'd be ready for it, right? Dude, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for something really quick in this drawer behind me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what? I know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to trip you out, man. Oh, shit. Is it not here? I keep all my like all my old training sessions and coaching education books in one spot usually, but Oh, nice. I have a I have a gem. I have a hidden gem. Let's see, this is it. Uh, I don't think this is going to be the right box. <laughs> it's cool uh, that you have it's, It is. No, this is my referee stuff. Oh, no. There it is. Awesome. Dude, this is all old training sessions. Nice. From when I was at the high school. This is all actually one season from the girls. Um <laughs> I don't know why this book is in this box though. The D, the deep, yeah. <laughs> the the D, the U.S. Oh, so nice, dude. This thing is like ancient history now. It's like what? It, it would make no sense. I didn't even. I didn't. What? Do you know what year you did that? Do you remember? Um. Dang. What year did I do? Maybe it says it. Maybe I put the date on something in here. I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember when I did mine because I didn't get one of those. I I took the D. I took the I, I took the E right after they re- rewrote the E, and then I took the D the next year right right after they wrote, rewrote the D. Yeah, and this now is definitely the old. This is the old D course. The old D. See, I took the new D course, and we didn't have a textbook there either. Yeah, no dates or anything. Man, this thing's like even the design looks. Like it's from the nineties. Um, yeah. I probably took my D course in maybe two thousand six or two thousand seven. So it's pushing ten years, probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, did, I I just took mine in like two thousand eleven or twelve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's it's really interesting though, like how we. It's almost like our identity as a soccer or U.S. soccer's identity is change, like constantly changing. And, and, and that, like, like that's what we're kind of about. Like, oh, you know, let's try Barcelona's method because it worked for them. And we start doing it. And then we realize, like, oh, like, what about the Dutch method? Or what about the English method? Or for well, a long French time, I guess it was the English method. But now, like, Germany won the World Cup, so let's be more like the Germans. Whoever wins the World Cup next year in Russia, let's be like them. I heard that the DA's cracking down on their sessions, and now you have to send. You're going to have to send sessions into U.S. Soccer and have them approved 
For what though? And it's all going to be. I don't understand that. It's all based on this, on this, um, on the French, this French, this new French method. Oh god, that French thing is like ugh, hot commodity right now, man. All the MLS yeah, academy directors are going there, and yeah, and the study. There's some studies that came out that proved that there were some studies that proved that this the, this approach was really good. You know, the general approach is that you you the kids go out there on the field and they play free for like 20 minutes or whatever. And then while they're playing, the coach like takes notes on what they're doing, what they're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. And then they design a training session to work on what they did wrong. And then at the end, they play for another 20 minutes and you see how they've improved. Dang. Yeah. I I didn't know anything about it until you just told me that. So it's kind of interesting. I'm sure there's many, 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 many other uh, things. Um, but, uh, but it's a it's an interesting approach. I think it's a it's an interesting way to think about it. My my feeling about it is that you have got to be an unbelievably focused and intelligent coach to be able to do that effectively. Can you imagine watching for twenty minutes and determining from twenty minutes of play what your training session should be, and then planning it and delivering it like that? Pete, can you can you imagine? doing that in the typical American practice environment where you have like a quarter of a field for an hour, an hour yeah. and 15 minutes with three or five or six other teams around you. And you're the only coach, the balls are flat. Yeah. So you have three kids show up late. Exactly. So <laughs> that, that French method is the French method. Like it's, it's, it's French. It's, it's how they do things. And so it's great to gain insight I think from from them and how they do things, mm-hmm. but how does that work with your everyday environment? And I don't want people to think that that should be your excuse or your way out is that you have a quarter of a field or that three yeah. people showed up late no. or that the balls were flat. Like those aren't excuses. You need no. to find no. ways to make that work based off of all this other information you've gathered and find a way to train your players. There's you know, no excuse I'm, at the end of the day. I'm really glad you brought that up, and I was thinking about this the other day. And I've been this is this, these thoughts have been ruminating, especially during my trip to Spain and after I came back from Spain. I've been and I've been reading stuff on Twitter, and a lot of stuff that a lot of the people that I follow on Twitter that I really like, and I really like a lot of the stuff that they say. But I'm really sick and tired of bashing our culture in the U.S. I'm really tired of it, and I'm really tired of of hearing um, uh, about how you have to be poor and from the ghetto to be successful at soccer and you have to know struggle and you have to, you have to, um, and you know what? I'm, I don't buy it and I don't buy, I don't buy the fact that our culture is broken in, in a way that we can, we are not going to be able to be successful in, in the world of soccer because of our culture and that instead we have to adopt somebody else's. We have to adopt a French method we, or, or me spouting the Spanish method, right? Like forget it. Like I don't, I don't know. We're going to learn from the French. We're going to learn from the Spanish. We're going to learn from the Dutch. And then we, ha- we as American coaches are responsible for translating that culture in, into our culture and being able to be successful with it. 
It's our responsibility. It's not the culture's responsibility. It's not the kids' responsibility. It's our responsibility as coaches to figure out how to make it work. We have a fantastic culture in the United States. We have really, really unique and tremendously valuable things that are, are, are inherent in our culture and unique to our culture that can help us be successful. But we have to we have to embrace them and nurture them and figure out how we can translate the best way to do things into the, the culture. Otherwise, we're, nobody's ever going to come from the outside and tell us what what to do because Americans don't do that. <laughs> Americans don't take help from the outside. It's yeah. It's so it's, it's U.S. soccer in so many ways is so I hate to say it anti-American because it's like the the league is is built on like this uh, very exclusive uh structure where america itself is very inclusive it's built on capitalism and (laughs) uh, rabbit hole i don't want to go down that there's one thing that that popped into my head when you were talking and, and and part of american soccer culture and maybe the adversity that we as an american soccer culture have always had to overcome is being considered you know second rate or third rate or fourth or fourth sport or whatever, however you want to call it. And and part of, I think we've talked about this maybe before too, somewhere, maybe Gary has, or maybe just it was a conversation him and I had, but part of the, like the, the, the drive that the guys had in like the nineties that is missing now, like Winalda and, mm-hmm. and Le- Alexi Lawless and those, and those guys, like yeah. part of, part of their story was having to, yeah, be, like really, like honestly, like the black sheep of American sports. That's not the case anymore. MLS is not the black sheep of American sports. Soccer is not the black sheep uh, so much anymore. But in the 90s, 80s and 90s, it was. When I was growing up, it was. I remember being called gay just because I was a soccer player. Yeah. I don't think that exi- – that that doesn't exist anymore. So when well, I when I was growing up, I had that like – point to prove or, you know, that little chip on my shoulder or, or things like that. So maybe that is or was our identity and maybe maybe that part of it's kind of gone now. I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but it's good story time, I guess. I, I think I know I think it's a I think it's a great point. And uh and and that I think maybe 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 where you're going with that and and what I what I'm getting out of it is that that spirit that that those guys embraced and and threw out to to the to, to all of us guys like you and me um is that american spirit that american culture that that despite being second or third rate no fuck that we're winning and despite we're, and despite being white and from suburban culture like right a guy Absolutely. like Winalda, he 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 had every advantage going for him he's a white guy living in thousand oaks or wherever he was at i can't remember he went to san diego state yeah. You know, he kind of he kind of had the path laid out for him. Sure. I'm sorry, Eric, if, if I don't think he listens to this podcast, but <laughs> but if I'm misportraying him, I feel uh, I apologize. But um, but still, like there was that identity that those guys, that team in, in the 90s had or that team in the early 2000s had like they, they definitely had an American spirit identity. That's yeah. one million percent lacking right now. In, yep. in the U.S. soccer, the the senior team. It, it, so. Interesting, interesting thought. Yeah. Well, I you know, just getting back to my 
what I was talking about before, and 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 it, re- it relates to what you're saying. We we coaches are responsible for what's happening in America, American soccer, not U.S. soccer, not 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 uh, MLS. We we coaches, me, you, uh, everybody else who's coaching kids has a responsibility to make soccer better in the United States. And like I said before, I'm not nearly, nearly good enough to stop learning and start spouting. I'm not nearly good enough. I have a lot of work to do. Um, and I do my best to get on that, uh, on that pitch and be prepared to teach these kids what they need to know to be successful, to move forward. Um, but until a whole lot more of us come to the soccer pitch, with that attitude, it's not going to get better. No matter what MLS does, no matter what U.S. soccer does, no matter it doesn't matter until we figure out how to work harder for our kids. It's it's not going to be good enough. I mean, I, I look at these these coaches that sit on the sideline during their games, and you know they're look they they sit in their chair like this. The coach, right? You know, they, they kick back and they put their, their head up and, and they their smug attitude, their smug know-it-all, lazy coaching attitude is um, so offensive to me. I can't imagine what I would feel like if I was a player on the field. I can't imagine what I would feel like as a coach. Um you know, I've watched some players and I'm or some of these coaches and I think, man. You know, if that kid, if that was my kid's coach, I I would leave the team tomorrow. There's there's that that attitude has no place uh, in in coaching, and I don't really care who it is because I'll tell you, I've coached with some guys that have the right to sit there with a smug attitude, and they certainly don't. They they certainly don't. Um, so. Uh, you know that I think that that goes back to my gratitude and humility thing, and my 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 learning that I'm doing right now. Um, I re- I'm really feel strongly that it's it's my responsibility, mine. I'm not saying you know coaches in the United States have to get better. I'm saying me. I have to get better. I have to do better for my kids. I have to do better for my club. I have to do better for U.S. soccer. I have to do better. I don't disagree with you at all. (laughs) (laughs) One of the questions that popped in my head was um, how, um, I forget his name, Albert, is that, who's who's over here coaching with you? The the guy from Uh, Spain, the U19 coach, the 22-year-old? No, Ferran, Ferran. Okay, okay. Uh, I don't know why Albert came to my head. Um, how how does he conduct himself on the sideline? He you said he's young, he's twenty two, very right. professional, but yeah. professional in 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 European coaching can be like a Jurgen Klopp or yeah, yeah, yeah. A Mourinho oh, yeah. or something like that. You know, like I don't I don't know what how he conducts himself. I'm curious. Yeah, I mean i i can't I can't speak to Ferran because he's here for um, camps. Okay, and and I've done a coaching clinic with him. I've I'm starting to shadow him today. I haven't I haven't I've been with um, Miguel Angel. And um, and with um, Alvaro, maybe that's where you're thinking. Albert Alvaro is another um, coach that I was working with, but I haven't I haven't seen them coach games. Only 
only um, on the side on the, on the for the camps. I can tell you that um, the coaches that I coach with here, the technical directors that I work with, and Sergio uh, Turan is is my director, um, and his I won't talk about his resume. It's it's rich. Um, so oftentimes I'll be coaching and he lets me be the, the head coach, but oftentimes he will jump in and, and coach, especially during games. The idea is that you, ha- you have, as a coach, you have to, you have the ability to give something to your team. You can give something to your team being the coach, you know, more than they do. You've been teaching them and you're, it's your responsibility to give them what you can from the, from the sideline. Not joysticking, not telling them, giving them the decisions to make, but giving them something, you know, and, and, um, this to them, I think is, is a very professional part of the job. You're, you're, you're the coach. You have to lead these players on the field when they're playing. If you sit down and shut up, you're abandoning them. How, how could you do that to them to sit there and be quiet? How dare you? You know, I think, and, and that, you know, that's the attitude that, that, that they give and that, and all the time they're trying to give something. There's always something to give to the team. Um, one of the things that they gave, that they gave me to, to work on after my first season coaching with them was um, that I need to coach off the ball. I don't need to coach on the ball at all. Don't even pay any attention to the ball. Who cares? It doesn't matter. By the time your kid is on the ball, defending or attacking, they're going to do what they're going to do. You you have to coach off the ball. And so I've been paying a lot of attention to giving my team what I can by helping them adjust their positioning on the field and help them think about what they need to be thinking about when they're on the field. So am I joysticking when my, my left wing is pressing their right back? And I'm telling my right back to pinch in. I don't think that's I don't think that's joysticking. I think that's teaching them and giving them something to pay attention to. I don't think that it's joysticking when I'm when I'm um, when the attack is on the way. I think it's coming up the right wing, and I tell my and I tell my left back, don't lose track of their right wing. Remember, you can't press this ball unless you have to, unless you keep track of your of their right wing. He's your responsibility, right? And the play is all the way up on the other side of the field, right? You're, we're giving things to the coach. I, I was, I was, um, I was thinking about this, like, how do I want to conduct myself as a coach and how do I see based on what I've seen here, my technical directors and in Spain, it's crazy. Um, you know, the, the coaches pace up and down 2007s, 2008s. The coaches are pacing up and down the field, and they're constantly, constantly, constantly talking. And, you know, the, the coach for FC Dom, big, big dude and very chill, right? But he was all the time. And he would sit down, and then he would stand back up and pace. And then he would sit down, and he would talk to it, and then he would stand up. and Anyway, I see, I absorbed that, and I watched the coaches that I respect. Um coaching on the sideline. I think that the role of the coach in my mind um, is more like an orchestra orchestra conductor, Mm -hmm. right? Or a choir conductor. 
right? It's not a, it, it's not a boss. Like they all know, they all know the notes to Dude, sing. Dude, that is a beautiful example. I've never thought about it like that before. It's like imagine an orchestra going out there without their conductor. Yeah, <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> it would never happen. Yeah. yeah, totally. You know, I, I, I was, um, I was a. Uh, uh, in an acapella choir in high school that, that we were at a pretty high level. We went to state and all that stuff. And I, I remember I got selected to, to go and sing in this, in this choir for, it was an all state choir. Right. And we all remember like, these are all kids that know how to sing. They've all been selected like one or two people from each, each high school goes. And so these are all good singers and we all already knew all the music. Right. So we knew our parts. We were very good at singing our parts and we, and we go to this thing and we're like, the, the conductor is really good. Comes up, I don't know who it was. I don't remember. But he comes up and we sing the first time we all come together. And it was all right. It was all right. By the end of the third day that we were practicing and doing this thing, the difference was shocking. And he didn't teach us any notes. He didn't teach us any, he didn't teach us any songs. He just helped us remember what we needed to do and, 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 and helped us anticipate and helped us. So this to me is the role of the, of a, of a soccer coach. And it's even harder really than a, a conductor because maybe in my acapella choir, there are eight parts to the, to the song. And, and that conductor has to know all eight parts cold. And he has to be paying attention to all eight parts while he's focused on maybe one or two. And the soccer coach has to do exactly the same thing where, you know, you have to be focused on everything that's happening on the field so that you can give to them what they need from you at the time. Right. And from the very bottom to the very top, this is what Pep's doing. This is what, uh, you know, uh, Klopp's doing, whoever. And this is what, this is what, um, youth coaches should be doing too. You're conducting an orchestra on the field. You're helping 11 players work together to build something. And even, I just thought, I just thought of this, it's like conducting a jazz orchestra because they're all improvising. Mm-hmm. There's no song sheet. There's no notes to play. Like it's, it's like, it's like you're, you're conducting a, 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 an orchestra of improvisers because they all have to do what they, what, they all have to do their own thing and they're, and they're not going to, there's no set thing to do. So, um, they're all trained musicians that have to come together and make beautiful sound. Yeah. Together, together somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And some may be better at part, some parts than others. And you have to give them, you have to help them find strength to, to, um, to operate when they're feeling weak as well. That's a, that's a, a beautiful point too, because, one thing I talked about recently with Nick Rogers on on, the, on this podcast, and one thing that we've been talking a lot about with our new um, uh, players club at, at Cal State Fullerton, and also another thing that that um, came up in the course with Raymond was that every player is going to solve the the problem differently. It's not mm-hmm. soccer is not math. There's there's not there's not one right, right. answer. And, and there could be a million different ways to get there and putting somebody in like a street soccer type environment or a pickup type environment helps them identify which way works best for them. And as coaches, when you take that over to like the structured training environment, Mm -hmm. 
I, <laughs> it's become to me, it's become pointless to teach kids how to do stepovers or how to do scissors or things like that in an organized training environment. When you're teaching all, you're teaching all 20 of your players or 15 or 10 of your players how to do the same exact move, that's not mm-hmm. going to work for every single player. How Messi gets by a, a, a defender is way different than how Ronaldo gets by a defender. Totally. And, totally. and that I think example that's you just gave, just, it, that, that reminded me of, of, of that. Yeah, because everybody's different. Hey, and I, I, I agree with you. I think that <clears throat> at the older ages, you know, teaching a step over or scissors or a Cruyff turn or whatever is, um, loses its value. I think there's a place for it. I'm not sure if organized training is a place for it, but, um, you know, teaching, teaching the players to make decisions, um, is a big part of training. And, and this is something that we do all the time. You know, I get, I did a lot of the orchestrated possession stuff with three, four, three in the past, and it's been really successful, really successful. And, and my whole team before I came to, um, to the club that I'm with now is, um, all of my success came from that, uh, that, that line of thinking. Um, but we don't do it at all in our club. None. I mean, I've done one session on, on goal kicks and positioning during goal kicks. And it was about five minutes is all they gave me to, to do it. Um, everything that we do there, there is no right answer to the, to, to being successful in the exercises that we provide in our structured training. We're not, we don't tell them how they should move the ball forward. We introduce variables into the exercise to help the, the decisions that they have to make appear over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So the rules that we provide, the structure that we give them, makes it so that the right back appears alone with the ball a lot. Right? We structure the exercise so that happens. Mm-hmm. So when the right back appears with the ball alone, they have decisions to make. Should I take the space forward? Should I find the midfielder? Should I find the wing? What should I do? Should I, should I pass back to the center back or the goalkeeper? Um, we don't tell them what they're supposed to be doing. But maybe we introduce a part of the exercise that says, well, in this particular case, it's easier for him to dribble forward because maybe the midfielder is not allowed to press him or something, you know? For example, and so we help them practice taking the space forward. Or maybe we introduce a rule that says if you can dribble forward, then you gain an advantage somehow. So the point of all this being that um, creating decision makers and creative and, and building creative players is all about making them make tons of decisions all the time over and over and over again that don't have a right answer. How, how do you, how do you become successful in this? Like in this case, you're going to be successful by doing this In this case, you're, and these cases will be different every single time we'll practice that right back. will receive the ball 15 times in our, our 20 minute session and they will solve the problem the exact same way. Never. So that that's absolutely critical. And the same thing goes for step overs or, uh, you know, or, or scissors or, L behinds or whatever, um, you know. Sometimes, sometimes a scissor is going to do great. Sometimes a Cruyff turn is going to do great for you. But you have to decide. You have to decide what's going to what's going to work for you, over and over and over again. Yeah, and and I think it's 
kind of, we've always said, I guess, that this is what has worked for us and this might not be what works for you, but Mm -hmm. here, here's what we did. And you take that Pete and you do that your way in Denver and somebody else takes that and does that in Iowa and somebody else takes that and does that in Seattle or wherever. And, and, and the subjective application is, is kind of, that's where there's a lot of, a lot of wiggle room, I think, but, but the overlying, um, kind of idea. And it sounds like you guys are doing something very similar is that you guys are just trying to break down the game into different moments during training and, and give that right back, you know, those 15 opportunities to work through that, that decision. Totally. And I, I don't, I don't mean to sound in any way critical of, of the way that 343 teaches how to do this or in the way that, um, that, uh, Brian does things. Those, those things I will <laughs> see. It's funny because again, I'm doing things their way hundred percent, not doing things my way. And my way certainly would incorporate a lot more of that orchestrated possession as well as, as the, as the competition. So I don't mean to sound critical at all. Um, I'm only, I'm, I'm only, um, you're eating shit. You know, right trying now. to express a different, <laughs> a different way to do it. What's that? You're eating shit right now. Yeah, <laughs> you're learning. Yeah, 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 I'm not the boss, man. Yeah. I don't want to be the boss. You t- you tell me what you you tell me what I should how I should be doing this. You tell me what I should be looking for. And <laughs> believe me, man, I'm not a, I'm not I'm not just a do. I'll do what you tell me to do. Mm-hmm. This, that's not what that's not what we're doing. It's a it's a um uh I'm learning. A ton, a ton, a ton, every single day, every time I step on the field with these guys. Every time I step on the field without, without these guys, with the mentality that I have with these guys. So, you know, yeah. did I lose you? You froze up. No. Oh, no, I'm still here. You can still hear me, right? Yeah, I can hear you. You're just video froze. Let me, uh, okay. that might be my computer giving me a sign. No big. No big. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Uh, Oh man, my face looks stupid where my where I froze. <laughs> I can see it now. Um, so, so what's going on with three four three lately? You guys, I can't come to this um, coaching thing. Yeah, uh, um, my my budget is expended. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and our, our, ours too to a certain extent. So we um, we decided to move it from Vegas to to Southern California this year. We made the decision that this will probably be our last um, summit. Um, it could it could pop up again in the future. Maybe maybe changes. Uh, maybe the look might change um, or the feel might change from from summits past. But for right now, we're 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 going to put it on the back burner. Um, just a bunch of other projects happening. The Players Club launched, which is kind of it, it's the first step in in a, into. Uh, unknown territory number one but uh it's kind of i guess maybe like the the first uh brush stroke of a of a picture bigger picture um yeah that's fun i've seen some really nice things going on uh with um semi-organized street soccer yeah and and that's why it's like we were kind of talking about earlier it's like yeah we we understand that there's a need for this street soccer mentality Mm -hmm. and there's value in that Mm -hmm. there is also absolutely zero 
possibility of excluding every white suburban kid from soccer. Mm-hmm. So how so how, how do you blend those two then? Well, again, you have to embrace our culture. You can't just whine about it. Exactly. You have to figure out. You have to figure out how to bring it. How to, how to bring the this the same thing out. I love it. I think yeah. it's a, like, fantastic. And, and I'm so, a, this. Go ahead. Oh no! This weekend, I'm um, I'm gonna build with my boys. We're gonna build a um, collapsible uh, panah court nice. uh, for our garage, and then I'll, it'll fold up, and I can take it out to wherever. Nice. Just, just yeah. apply. Just for a fun project to do. Yeah. And so it, like I talked about with Nick on, on the show, it, it's like, yeah, you don't want to just drop everything from your organized soccer and, and force your kids to play street soccer 24 seven. But how can you use that as a tool in order to, you know, help your players with their development? And so th- totally. that's, that's all this players club is at this point is it's, it's a tool for these players to develop these skills and this mentality that it's just lacking right now in, in U S soccer. So, yeah, I, I, I hear you and I struggle with figuring out exactly how to bring that kind of stuff out as well. I, I think that, um, there's a lot of, uh, uh, again, again, I think that I, it's my responsibility as a coach to, to figure that out. And, you know, I had a kid last season who just went down every time, and would and he's a great player, really, really skilled, smart player. But man, he was so made of glass, and um, and he's always going down. And you know, this won't be the solution all the time, but the solution this time was just just don't take it. I told him to get up or go home, and you know, and it's up to, it's up to him. And I did not call him. I didn't baby him. And I just said, you know what, get up or go. I don't care. It's up to you. Um, if you want to play soccer, then you're going to have to be able to get kicked in the, in the ankle. You know, you're going to get shoved down, get up. It's, it's happening. It's going to happen to you. So your choice, I can't stop it. I can't stop you from getting kicked in the ankle. I can and I can't stop it from hurting, you know, but you can decide to get up. Your choice. Are you injured or are you hurt? You're hurt? Okay, get up. Quit whining. Play. Go get it back. Push them over. I don't care. You know? So there's some things that coaches can do too. There's, they, they can. And, and we're afraid to teach fouls, right? We're, we're, we're afraid to teach the tricks. And I don't teach them. I don't teach the kids to foul. And I don't teach them to step on feet. And I don't teach them to to do all the dirty tricks. But no, what I not, you mean like you don't run a session about that, right? Well, yeah. And we, I mean, you talk about it. I don't have to teach them that stuff. They'll they'll figure it out. But what I do do is I don't like when fouls happen in the game. It's not the end of the world, and they're not in trouble for following somebody. Like you know, you're like, don't hey, don't kick Jimmy's ankle. That's that's naughty. Oh, that's soccer, man. <laughs> you don't have to scold him for that. He's going to kick him in the ankles. You know what? Billy's going to turn around and throw Jimmy on the ground when he kicks his ankle. And then he's not going to kick his ankle anymore. Or when he does, he's going to make sure that he gets a ball. You know, he, there's a bigger reward for it. it it's not – It's 
it's a mentality that we get as as coaches and as leaders for these kids is you you lead both by what you teach and by what you correct right and by how big a deal you make of stuff right you know like you teach them to get their body shape in the right position and then they then they don't get their body shape in the right position and the the attacker beats them and then what you scream at them for getting their body shape right they, like they know you know, teach them again. They're going to figure it out. But we can't make them so afraid of everything. I think our soft suburban kids are afraid of getting yelled at for for cheating. You know, I, w- I once had an a- a after game talk with my my team that was U eleven a couple of years ago, and it was a rough game. Man, they were throwing us around, and they were they were we were beating them. Um, and so oftentimes, especially my kids are little guys and they move the ball a lot and, and it's really frustrating for the other team. And it was one of those games and they were throwing us around and kicking us and scratching us and they were nasty. So after the game, I came down and I was like, Hey, you know, those guys, man, they were, they were, they were so rough, weren't they? They're like, yeah, they were scratching us and pulling us and that guy the kids were like that guy grabbed my shirt and you know da, da, da. and i was like and i was like yeah and you guys were so good you didn't grab or push or pull or kick anybody did you no we were we didn't get any yellow cards and we didn't we didn't hurt anybody and i was like yeah and i said why not <laughs> why not and they looked at me like i was crazy and I was like, listen, you guys, if somebody's going to try to throw you on the ground, what are you going to do? You're just going to get thrown on the ground? If somebody's going to grab your shirt and push and pull you, you're just going to let them grab your shirt and push and pull you? Don't let it happen. You know, don't let it happen. Don't don't be a victim. Go play. Get back in their face. You don't have to be a you don't have to be polite to these guys. You know, they're going to throw you on the ground. You don't have to let it happen. So it's another example of how we as coaches can give our kids something that they can use without we, we don't have to be we don't have to teach. And I've seen coach coaches teach that I told, stuff. I totally have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean and and that at age appropriate, I think that that's I think that that's okay. I'm coaching 10-year-olds, and I don't feel great about co- teaching a 10-year-old striker to step on the feet of their center back, even though everybody knows, right? I just don't feel comfortable teaching it to 10-year-olds. But, because um, I think they, well, they have they have plenty. But we can still give them something to, to knock that, to knock that well-behaved, hands-folded, attentive suburban kid out of that mentality when they're playing this game you know we just have to we just have to shake them up we can do it street soccer is a great great way to do it get them out there unsupervised or or semi-supervised get them out there experimenting awesome fantastic and again it comes back to us man it's it's up to us i remember I, I mean, I think it's a common, like, coaching phrase, like, find a way to win. 
like a lot of coaches will like tell their players, yeah. find a way to win. It's like, okay, coach, like I'm going to find a way to win. <laughs> and, and sometimes like, you know, it resorts to fouling or diving or, or things like that. Right. So as sure. a coach, like what's your threshold as a coach, like how far can you let your, or how far are you willing to go in your coaching to coach your players to win it all, you know, at all costs. Right. Right. And, and how much are you willing to accept from your players if they were to, you know, tackle a player that's on, on a breakaway against your keeper and, and come up with a red card or dive in the box to win a PK in, in the, in the 90th minute, you know, are, are, yeah. are, are you willing to accept that as a coach? And I remember having that conversation with one of my players one time and I was, I won't say her name, but great player goal scorer had a full ride scholarship to, um, the school of her choice. And it was her, it was her senior year and she was a, a, a tough chick. Nobody, nobody could bring her down. They would foul the shit out of her and right. she would push through it yep. all the time. And I yeah. had to tell her, Oh God, I almost said her name right now. Uh, I had to tell her, is that helping your team? Is that helping your team that you, that you are trying to prove something by, by not falling down? You're right. letting this person drag on your shirt and, and kick your legs and, and hold onto your arms. Is, is that helping your team that you're afraid to, to fall over? Because mm-hmm. of how how it would look, and I I will never forget the time that she won a penalty kick, and she just kind of gave me a look to the sideline, like, <laughs> like I did I'm it, coach. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> but but it, it's just an, it, it's an interesting conversation, and and for a player like her, you, you know, she number one was never exposed to that environment where she she would have picked up like those little you know street tactics for lack of better Mm -hmm. terms. Um, but then her, um, probably her, her parents, her upbringing, um, her, her culture was, was a rule follower, you know? And, and so, and so that, that played a a big part into like her physical toughness when it came to the situations. And, and I just had to kind of plant the seed in her head, like, Hey, we're trying to win here. Right, right. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and, and yeah, we, uh, we, we, yeah, that that that's interesting. I mean, for me right now, I think that um, uh, you know, you say little things on the side that that clue kids into into this situation, but it's also like it's all about what you, you know, what do you allow in practice? What what do you you know? Where, where's the line? Where what line do you draw in practice when? You know, man, I had, I've had kids where, like, you know, they they have a little tantrum, like, you know, when they lose the ball to somebody, and then they go kicking their kicking their feet and kicking their legs out and everything. What, do you allow that? Do, and then do you allow the? And then and then do you allow the retaliation? Like maybe that's a time to time to go get a drink of water. You know. When when that kid turns around, maybe that's that maybe that's the time to go pick up a couple of cones. Um, I don't know. It depends on it's it's it entirely depends on the situation, right? Very and situational. It, you have you have to you have to make the best decision that you can when you when you're presented with that situation. And there's never going to be a right answer. It's super gray, but it's also super gray on the field too. You know, like you have to, you have to, you have to control yourself. You have to, you have to control your emotions, but then again, you have to, you have to let loose and, and let, let the game take, take, 
um, take you over, you know, a little bit sometimes too. So I don't know. I've been a screaming nutso coach on the sideline. Um, I've said things that I'm, that I wish I hadn't said to players and, and other coaches and referees. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause the game does take us over sometimes, but I actually, you know, I, just before we started, um, I tweeted out something about like the, this McGregor Mayweather, all this hype that's going on. And they're doing like a tour of press conferences, press conferences, sorry. And they're like, they're encouraging these guys to, you know, put on a show and cuss at each other and, and whatnot. And, and ESPN tweeted out the, like something about Conor McGregor saying like, zoom in on my, on my pinstripes on my suit. And it's actually, they say, fuck you. And it's funny how like that, that that's accepted you know, in, in that kind of culture, you know, the mm-hmm. fighting culture and right. how people think that it's funny and, and yeah. they'll, they'll retweet like ESPN will retweet that. And, but it's not okay for a soccer coach to say something like that and, and how we're supposed to like conduct ourselves in a certain way or a soccer player or a golfer or right. a tennis player or something like that. So it's, it's weird, like what's accepted and what's not. And I think what, what triggered that thought was how you said that, you know, there's been times when you've been a nutso coach. And you've said things that you've regretted, but you also, in my opinion, you shouldn't feel bad about those things. You know, that shouldn't be beating you up. It's like, that's, that's emotion. That's real emotion that, that was coming out at that time. And, and you shouldn't be punished as a coach, you know, for, for those types of things. And, and I, I, I had a big learning curve, learning curve in the sense that I had to learn how to adapt to what I think is, is bad practice of controlling myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I, I don't, I don't like that as a, as a coach and as, as a player, I was always kind of like a killer mentality and I took mm-hmm. that with me as a, as a coach and, and I tried to give that mentality to my players too. And, and I, I, I wanted 11 killers on the field, the goalie too, you know, yeah. I want 11 yeah. killers on the field. And for me, to get that mentality out of those players, I need to lead by example. If if sure. I want eleven killers, I need to be a killer on the sideline too. Sure. And I, I in in the environment I was in, I wasn't allowed to do that. I you know got slapped sure. on the wrist. I don't know how many fucking times, but yeah. um, that's uh, that was a tangent. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I you know I think uh, again, it's like it's one of those things that's situational, right? What. How is it help? How does it, you know, for me coaching, you know, right next year, I'll coach you 12. Um, so they're 11, right? I, I'm always thinking about how does this help my players develop? It, it's a, you have, I'm trying to take a long view, right? I'm a long view. And the way I conduct myself as a leader on the sideline, during games, on, on the practice field, you know, what, what is going to be the best for them de- developmentally to have a leader the way that I'm leading, right? And, and there's parts of my personality that, um, that are just going to be part of me. But there's a lot of things that I can change and, I, and I, that, I, that I can I don't have to be being in control doesn't mean I'm sitting still with my hands folded, right? Being in control means that I'm in control. It doesn't mean that I'm not yelling. 
It doesn't mean that I'm not grabbing the the referee assigner next to me and saying, you need to do a better job training your referees because that kid doesn't know the rules, right? That's that's in control. Out of control is stepping on the field and screaming at the 12-year-old referee that that's a bad call, right? And showing that to my kids. Instead, talking respectfully but but firmly to a rep, to a referee mentor you know about a situation is maybe a little bit better leadership right like um super situational um and like i said control is different i, I can be pacing up and down and screaming and yelling and and feel like i'm in control because i do that all the time that's how i coach um, you know, I'm not, I'm not screaming insane or, or, or ridiculous things. I'm, I'm yelling instructions and, um, and suggestions and ideas for my players. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm out of control. So, uh, I don't know why, why I went off on the control out of control thing, but, but the, again, it's like situational and, and, and emotion, our emotions can run through us. And take over to some extent, and we can still maintain some control. You know, one thing I want to I want to mention. Maybe we can kind of wrap up because we're definitely yeah. over our time limit. But um, I, I think another another thing that would help that. So I I think maybe you and I might contrast a little bit. Like I'm probably like on one end where, like I said, I, I want killers, and then you were talking a little bit about like being you know a leader and helping guide you know the kids. A sure. certain direction or something like that. Yeah. Which I, I think there's the, the, the thing that we maybe need to do a better job of. And I, that I failed on in my last coaching job was identifying what that environment is trying to produce. So if, if I was in an environment that was trying to produce professional players, my mentality was 1000% spot on. I was at a high school where the goal for those kids was to just move on to a college or sure. just graduate high school. So my mentality probably wasn't appropriate for that environment. And right. it, uh, either it was just, it was just misidentified. So sure. that environment probably needed somebody that was going to shape kids. Not, and not to say that I didn't, I, I didn't try my best to do it, but shape kids to just be, you know, successful human beings, good people, right. things like that. And I think that we just misidentify a lot of times and that's where uh, a lot of people get put in sticky situations. So it's like club soccer just in general in in the United mm-hmm. States. Like what is the goal of club soccer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The 99.9% of it is recreational soccer. Sure. And so there's – yeah, there there is no need for people yelling at the referees at a U12 uh, girls right. – uh, recreational game, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, you got to know where you are and you got to know where, uh, where you need to be. And you, you can't, you can't, you can't, uh, conduct yourself like you're in, um, in a, a, a development academy final if you're in a U12 girls rec game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you said that you know ninety nine point nine percent of club soccer is recreational, but I'll, I believe that one hundred percent of club soccer is about making the kids better 
than they were when they came in. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in order to do that, you, you, you do what you, you do what you need to do to, to, um, push them to be better and whatever that is. Um, I know that it's hard work. <laughs> I know that it's, it's lots of focus, um, and, and, uh, and never stopping, you know, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I got you, man. Yeah. Uh, all right. What do you, what do you think we wrap up there? Sure. All right. Uh, sure. I appreciate you. Uh, I could talk for a lot longer. Oh, me I'm... too, man. Me too. This is this is a joy for me because I don't I don't get a lot of uh, soccer interaction these days. I work full time for a brewery and and I'm about three and a half hours north from where Gary and Joey and Brian and all those guys are. So yeah, my, uh, yeah. my soccer interaction is is very limited right now. That's a, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope that you can get back into it more often as you as you see fit. Sooner um, rather than later, hopefully. <laughs> I, I work all day too, and uh, and and do this in my spare time. So yeah. uh, when I get a break in the middle of the day to talk about soccer, I like it. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yeah. Well, again, thank you. I appreciate it. Yep. Yep. Thank you. I'll talk to you uh, later on. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Pete a little bit better. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And if you're interested in hearing more conversations like you just heard, you can find all of the podcast episodes that we have for 343. You can find all of those on 343coaching.com. That's the number three, the number four, the number three, coaching, all spelled out, dot com. And if you would like, while you're there, you can sign up for one of our memberships. Uh, Like I've said many, many times, you can sign up for our premium membership. Or if you're not ready for that, you can always sign up for our free membership just to get a taste of what we're all about. And actually, I highly recommend starting there. Um, Okay. Uh, With that, I think that's it for today. Thank you for listening, as always. And we appreciate you. And thank you for being part of the 343 family. And we will catch you next time. Thanks. Bye.